started, I just got to say how good that David and Eileen and Darren did while I was gone for three weeks. They did amazing preaching, and I'm just so excited. I'm so proud of them because of the work that I saw them put in to it and the seriousness that they approached God's word and what they were doing. And if God keeps raising up leaders like them, we're going to be singing of stories of new life in Christ. So I'm just excited about it. Now, we're getting back to our series, New Beginnings, and in the book of Genesis. Now, this book, Genesis, is an incredibly important book because if you're going to understand the rest of the Bible, you've got to understand the book of Genesis. Everything is riffing off of the book of Genesis, all the rest that you read. And in it, you're going to find something. Very specific stories of sinners trying to get back to Eden, trying to get back to the paradise that they lost. And these are not heroic stories, but they're stories of real-life humans trying to get home, trying to find the place. I mean, we're all doing this. We're trying to find that place where we can dig our toes in the sand of paradise where there's everlasting joy and peace and rest and until we get there our toes know that there's something wrong with this land that we're in and in genesis we read stories of people like us fellow travelers who have this longing for an ecstasy that can only be found at their true home Now, this is the job of the Bible, to take you home, but these stories are doing something else. They're not just taking you home, they're putting you on this new path. And as we read the Bible, what we find is that we aren't alone on this path. So what happens is you read the Bible and you see that you're with these other fellow travelers. And you read these stories and you see, well, this is a fellow traveler just like me, messing up just like me, doing these things wrong. And then the other thing is you look around people in this place, like look around you, these are also fellow travelers who are looking for home. And, and you are weird because you have come to the conclusion that the Bible somehow in some way will take you home. And it's changed you and put you on this new path towards home. And it's a beautiful thing that you've done that. And what you find is something else. So you've jumped on this new path. And on this road, the Bible introduces you to someone, to some friend. But it's a friend unlike any other. You find that it is a mysterious friend who is actually God himself, who's come to join you on this road, Christ. And you start spending more time with him. And you start realizing, man, this really is God. But then he does something to you that you don't like. You're on this road, and he takes out a knife. And he cuts into your mind, he cuts into your heart, and he cuts into your soul. And he opens you up, and he takes something out. And it's a sin, a specific sin, whatever it might be. And he shows it to you, and he says, did you know that this was there? And do you know how much this is ruining your life? And he shows it to you, but, but then he does something else. He gives you this balm of grace that makes you everything just okay. Everything's good now. And that's what we're talking about today, this knife of conviction. 
So he's not helping you see your sin for sin's sake, but he wants to heal you, but also at the same time with grace, but also then transform you. And today's story of conviction is like a blockbuster hit, but it's all condensed down into this one short story. And by the way, the Bible keeps doing this. So today is a story about a man who sells his brother into slavery and then goes and lies to his father about it and makes his father think that he's dead. And then he finds a prostitute on the road and sleeps with her. Turns out it's his daughter-in-law and she's pregnant. So this is the story we're looking at today, but then it's the story, this is such an important story, of Judah getting convicted of what he's just done. So I'm about to read it to you, but before I do, i got to give you the backdrop. So again, this is the story of Judah. He has just sold his younger brother into slavery. All of his brothers are super angry that this brother Joseph is loved the most by their father. And so they're all angry about it. So so they say, let's sell Judah's idea. Let's sell him into slavery. And let's tell our dad that he's dead instead of him knowing what we did. And so they do this. And then as soon as that's over, Judah leaves. And he goes into a different place. And he meets a woman. And he gets married to her. And they have three boys who are scoundrels worse than him. And this first boy, after years go by, meets a woman named Tamar. And he's a wicked man, and so it's, the Bible says God puts him to death. And during this time, if it's a really weird thing at this time, but during this time, if a woman is married and her husband dies, if that man has a brother, that woman will marry the brother. And that's kind of the rule, the law, because it's a way to take care of women in that day because they weren't working and so they couldn't provide and so it's just it was a good thing to do it was a justice thing to do so she marries the younger brother and he's super angry about it he doesn't want this to happen in fact when he has the first kid with her it would still be considered the older brother's kid so he finds a way the old-fashioned birth control if you don't know what that is i'm not gonna let's just move on and so uh Eventually, this son dies because of what he's doing. So then Tamar is set to marry the third son. But Judah doesn't want it to happen because Judah thinks that it's Tamar's fault that all of his boys are dying. Basically, he's being this protective father, so he doesn't want this to happen. So he says, okay, I'm going to give him to you, but he's like 12 years old, so it's not the time yet, so just wait. Well, Tamar realizes what he's doing. He's tricking her. So she starts devising a plan because Judah leaves to go off on a boy's trip. And on this man's trip to go, she devises this plan of how she is going to get back at him. So this is where we pick up in our story. Genesis 38. I'm going to read verses 12 through 26. In the course of time, the wife, and, and I got a bit to read, so stay focused. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garment and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat up at the entrance of Inim, which is at the road of Timnah. So she saw that Shelah was grown up, this is the third son, And she had not been given to him in marriage. So when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. This is on purpose what she's doing. For she had her face covered. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. 
for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I will give you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolamite, to take back the pledge the woman, from the woman's hand, and he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Inam roadside, and then said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of this place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And the Judah replied, let her keep these things as her own or, sh- or we will be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. After about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her again. All right. This is a weird story, and you're probably thinking, David, why didn't you just skip over this one? And here's the reason. This is probably one of the most important stories in the Bible that has been misunderstood. Nobody sees the point of it. Nobody knows why it's there. But this, the history of God saving the world, saving you, is all linked to this story right here. So let me explain that. So Judah, at this point, has three major sins in his life. He's sold his brother into slavery, tricked his dad about it, lied to his dad about it, told his dad that his brother's been killed. First. Second, he's not taking care of his daughter-in-law. He's basically given her this horrible deck of cards because in this time, if you're not married, you're basically not taken care of. Third, he ends up sleeping with her, though he didn't know about it. Judah is making a real mess of his life, and he doesn't see it at all. He doesn't realize it. He's downplaying his sin. He's minimizing it, or he just doesn't care. And by the way, we kind of do the same thing with our own sin. And, but, but then, there's this great irony. His sins are revealed to him by one word. And this one word would change his life, and it would change the course of history. And the word is this, recognize. That's all it is. So let me show you this. So hold on to this word. Tamar wants justice, and she's trying to figure out how to get it. And so she devises this plan of how to deceive the one who is deceiving her. So she devises this plan, and she hears that Judah is going to this sheep shearer thing. Now, this is apparently a big party. So back then, you didn't have much to do, so it's time to shear the sheep, and so let's throw this big party. Everybody's going to go. There's going to be this big festival. And Tamar realizes her father-in-law is going, And she knows him well enough to know that if she dresses herself up like a prostitute, then he will try to get with her. It's a weird plan, but it's her plan for justice. So this happens. He approaches her and asks to sleep with her. And and she says, well, what's it worth to you? And he says, well, how about a goat? 
And apparently that was a good deal for her. So she says, sure, goat sounds good. But how do I know you're going to bring it to me because it's not with you? And she says, give me this. Give me your, your cord, your signet, and your staff. This is essentially her saying, give me your wallet. So I know you're coming back for it. The identification. So Judah later goes to try to pay this prostitute only to find she's not there. And then he says, okay, we can't find her. I get to keep the goat. Good for me. And then he gets word that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant, which means she's, you know, done. Kids are present. She's done what what people do to get pregnant. And now he says this, burner. She cries like that back there. I mean, this is, this is what he's saying. Burn her alive. And so they go and they track her down and they are dragging her. Cries are going like what you hear in the back there. And they're bringing her to be burned. And she's, she's maybe with a little grin on her face says, hold on. Take this staff, take this cord, take this ring, bring it to Judah and tell him I'm pregnant by the man who these belong to. So, she, so they go. But she says, tell him this, one word, recognize. That's the word, the one word in the Hebrew language is recognize. She tell, they tell him this word, and it cuts him to the core like this knife of conviction. What, what is it about this word? This word is recognize. It means look at these, see these things, see who they belong to. Here's the thing with the word. The same exact word that Judah used to tell his dad about his son, who he sold into slavery but tricked his dad into thinking he was dead. He took blood, put it on the coat of Joseph, his younger brother, and said, hey, dad, recognize these. Your son's dead. So the writer wants you to hear these words and understand that as Judah hears these, it cuts him to the core. He remembers not only what he's done to his father and his brother, but also he realizes that he's just slept with his daughter-in-law and she is pregnant. So this is the knife of conviction that's come out of him. So it's the, the, picture this. So he hears these words. He gets wide-eyed. And by this word, the knife enters into his chest and out spills whatever in his belly and out spills his entrails. But really what he's seeing is what he's done. And for whatever reason now, he is completely convicted. You know that feeling like you've just been doing something for so long and it's not really been a big deal, but all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it just becomes like, what in the world have I been doing? All of a sudden, he's convinced He's messed up his life completely. He's a sinner. Here's what happened. He's remembered who he was supposed to be. See, Judah and his family, they're supposed to be the ones who bring all of humanity back to Eden. That's his job. That's the thing that he's supposed to do, but he's forgotten it. So he's been woken up. Now, now look, look, here's for you. Conviction has a way of waking you up to realize that you've been doing something for so long and it's been good, it's felt good, everything seemed right, but all of a sudden your eyes widen and you realize what in the world have I been doing? And it cuts you to the core. 
Until you are convicted in the way that you really need to be, you will remain on the wrong road. And then when that conviction stabs you, here's what happens. I mean, that heart goes all the way to your toes, and then you start realizing, I'm on the wrong road. My feet need to get back on the road that it needs to be on. And then, so watch what happens. You hear these stories like this of Judah, and you start saying, I, you know what? I'm kind of like him. I'm dysfunctional like him. And you say, well, David, that's pretty rude. I haven't done something like that. Well, I mean, hold on. Why are we thinking that Judah's sins are so much worse than ours compared to who we are meant to be? Compared to the you that you are meant to become? You're not that far off of Judah. In other words, if you could only see the you that you could have been in Eden. If you could only see what you were meant to become, and then you would realize, man, I'm just as dysfunctional as Judah, and I'm raising up just as dysfunctional of a family, because it's not that far off. So just imagine for a minute these family dinners for, at Judah's house. So you walk in, you see a picture on the wall. It's a picture of Tamar and her first husband. Uh, they look happy on their wedding day. You move on to the next picture, and it's another picture of Tamar with her second husband, who was the brother of the first. And then you move on to the third picture, and it's a picture of Tamar again with her baby's daddy. They didn't get married, and there's two boys there, and you know that they're all related and that Judah was ready to put her to death, and the little boys are looking at this picture like, that's my dad. He almost killed my mom, and, you know, and the third son's like, man, I just really escaped from a really big train wreck. This is a huge dysfunctional family, but here's the point. Conviction will make you feel like that. Conviction will make you feel like that's kind of like what my life looks like. Now, I want you to know something. Every week up here, I take a risk. And the risk is offending you. But the risk is worth it. Because if you could get past the offensiveness, if you could be open-minded enough, it will lead to the sweet jewel of conviction. And if you find that jewel, you're going to then find the sweet balm of grace. See, the word, there's a thing, it's very rare, or you're special, because the normal person would be offended. But if the Holy Spirit gets involved, what you hear doesn't offend you, but it convicts you. It changes you like a knocking on the door, like in the back. It's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart, saying, hey. And so this special knife enters in, and it convicts you, but you're not left with just that. The, the balm of grace is given to you. So let me just do it right now. Let me just try to convict you and maybe stab you a bit with this knife. Just be open-minded. So here's, here's Judah. He has this sin of the double standard where he actually is seeking to kill someone for the very sin that he's doing. And so we do the same thing. We demand justice but when someone's done something wrong to us, we ask for mercy. We want grace from others, but we're not very eager in giving grace out. 
We're, we want patience from others, but we're not very patient. We want generosity from others, but we're not very generous. We want understanding from others, and we demand it, yet we aren't very understanding of others. Or parents. We look down on other parents because maybe they're raising their kids in a different way, but we know that we aren't the parent that we should be. Or in politics, we look down our nose pridefully at those who think differently than us. Somehow both sides feel to be morally superior than the other. Or husbands. Okay, let's take Judah. Judah's a husband. He's, he was, he's a father, and he's not doing a good job. So I think husbands, we could probably admit that we aren't loving our wife as well as we should, and we're probably not leading our family like we should be. Or, if you're single, so Tamar's single. Tamar fell under the cultural pressure of having a kid, and it's what drove her to do something that's incredibly unhealthy. And there is a cultural pressure on single people to get married. And if you don't, you feel like you're not measuring up to some cultural standard, so it will cause you to do something unhealthy, like marry somebody that you maybe you shouldn't be, or you're mad at people who have kids if you can't. Or how about your prayer life? I've heard it said that if you want to convict a Christian, just ask them about their prayer life. Or this question, do you love your enemies? At the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to be able to love your enemies because Christ died for us while we were still his enemy in order to make us his friend. So if we aren't loving our enemies, then we're not being Christ-like. And then this is the last one that should get all of you. Is God... Your greatest pleasure, your greatest joy, and your greatest love. The root of every single sin is that we have put God in the place. We pursued something else as our greatest love, as our greatest pleasure, as our greatest joy. Something lesser than God has taken his place and it has led to a mess. So, look, if you aren't convicted by any of those things then consider dropping to your knees and asking the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin because that's the very job of the Holy Spirit. That's conviction back there. All right, look, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Just do this. Just let God try you. Let him search you, let him cut you open a bit and show you what's in there, but then let him lead you in a new way. Be open-minded that maybe you're not so far off of Judah because that's what happens to him and it changes his direction and it sets his gaze to the west to move back towards Eden. So let me just give you a warning. He changes roads. He changes paths. But let me give you a warning. One does not simply change roads. Something's required of you. You can't simply change your behavior, by the way. See, here's the problem. You are still dripping with the blood of your conviction and your sin by that knife wound. And you need the balm of grace rubbed into that wound. And that's our second point, grace. So... Our text doesn't show us exactly that Judah found grace, 
but it is assumed. Because if you know the Bible, what you find is that later on, so uh, the, the, the next time we see Judah in this story, he's a completely different person. And if you know the Bible, you know that if transformation is going to happen, it has to happen by grace. Grace is the very seed, it's the pill, it's the thing that you need if you want to see a transformed life. So the next time we see Judah, he's a completely different person. When in the past, his selfishness caused him to sell his brother into slavery because he was jealous of him. Now what we see him doing is something completely opposite. He's offering to trade places with his youngest brother, Benjamin, so his youngest brother, Benjamin, doesn't get sold into slavery because that's what he thinks is about to happen. See, Judah has this appearance of his brother, Joseph, that he sold into slavery. He meets him, but Joseph is in disguise, and Joseph tricks him and makes him think that he's about to take Benjamin. And Judah is worried about it, so what does he do? He offers to go in the place of his youngest brother, Benjamin. This is a completely different person. He is absolutely transformed to the core. What happened to him? He found grace. The Bible is a book about sinners who've been saved by the grace of God and then have been transformed. The biggest misconception in our culture today is that Christianity is just like every other religion. You have to earn your way to God, and if you get on that right road, if you turn your life around and you let God know that you're trying harder than you are good, you're taken care of, and that is a trickery that has crawled out of the pits of hell and has crawled like a spider into your ears and laid eggs that are giving birth in your ears, telling you things that aren't true over and over and over again. The Bible is not about you trying harder. It's not about you being good. It's about you being rescued. Christianity isn't, if I obey God, he will accept me. But Christianity is, I am accepted by God, therefore I obey. Did you hear that? Give me some nods. Let me know you're hearing me over the kids. You are? Christianity is not... If I obey, God accepts me. It's the acceptance that God has given me by grace produces obedience in me. And that acceptance hinges on the faith that you have in Christ. Now, so grace puts you on this new road. And it's this road that's leading you back to the who that you are meant to become. Now, I got to tell you this. That some of you right now, I know you're doing it. You're trying to earn God's acceptance and God's love by obeying him. And what you need to be doing is convicted to the core that you have not got a shot to prove to God that you are worthy of acceptance. There's too much that's already happened and there's too much that's going to happen in the future. What you need is grace. And some of you are Christians and you're trying to change and it's not working. And the reason it isn't working is because you are trying so hard to muster up the strength inside of you to change. And that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about trying harder. It's about tasting grace over and over and over again. 
Christianity is meant to be, if you're a Christian, you are not meant to feast on grace one time and then move on. You are meant to feast on grace every single day and taste its sweetness anew every single day. Like the, like the one-year-old kid who finally gets to have that first taste of a birthday cake is the way that you're meant to taste grace every single day. It's exciting. Your taste buds start dancing because it's something that it feels like you've never tasted before. And that's what it would look like in your life. Dancing your way to a transformed life. Transformation is not coming off of the back of your hard work. Transformation is coming off the back of Christ's hard work for you. He's come, and he's fought, and he has died, and he's punched a hole through death and risen to give you this new heart that is longing for your homeland of Eden. And he is along the road with you, bringing you back. Christianity is the hard work of you not relying on yourself, but relying on Christ. And that leads to transformation. This is my last point. So if you've been distracted at this point, come on back in. This is important. So Judah comes away from this massive, catastrophic failure, and he is cut by this knife of conviction. He receives the balm of grace, and he is an absolute transformed person. He's willing to take his brother's place now, to die, you might say, in his brother's place. In fact, this is what's shocking, and if you've read through Genesis, you probably didn't pick up on it. At the end of Genesis, something happens that nobody expected to happen. Joseph has lived this amazing life. He's been a good man. And it's come time for Isaac, Joseph's father, to hand the mantle off of who is going to do the work of bringing humanity back to Eden. Basically, Isaac is about to give the responsibility to one of his sons to bring humanity back to Eden. And instead of it being Joseph who seemed to be the obvious person, do you know who he picks? Judah. Do you know what's happened? Judah has been absolutely transformed. For whatever reason, Isaac looks at Judah and says, this is the one who loves the most and is most worthy to bring God's people back to Eden. Now, I'm going to explain it like this. I'm going to let Jesus explain it, actually. So there's a place where these people come up to Jesus, and they're super angry. And they say, Jesus, why are you hanging out with sinners? And he says, let me ask you a question. Who will love more, the person who's been forgiven much or little? And they say, the person who's been forgiven much. And he says, exactly. Now, you might be tempted to say, the Judah in you might be tempted to say, okay, cool. So that means I will love God more if I go and sin more. So all these sins that I've been wanting to do, I'm going to go and do them, and then I'm going to be forgiven by God, and I'm going to love him more. That's not the point of this. What, this is, what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that all of us aren't so far off of Judah if you, if you will just see, if you will be willing to be convicted to the core, you can feel the weight of your sin the same way that Judah did, even if you didn't do something like what he's done. So then the question is this, are you supposed to feel horrible and miserable all of your life because of your sin? 
Or, this is getting confusing because we just talked about you ought to be dancing with joy by the grace of God. So Christianity is this weird wrestling between feeling the misery of your sin and the joy of the forgiveness and the grace that you have in Christ. So what do you do? And if I'm honest with you, I don't really know what to tell you. I still feel like I'm figuring this out. I look at my life and I say, I'm definitely not as convicted as I ought to be for the things that I'm doing in my life, for my sin. But then I look at my life and I say, I'm sh- I know I'm not dancing with the kind of grace that I ought joy from the grace that I've received in Christ. So what do you do? I, I don't know. This is, this is part of being on the road as fellow travelers. We're figuring it out. Same way we're figuring out what to do with our kids in here. By the way, next week, Grove Kids opens up. Amens? We're on this road, and we're trying to figure this out. We're seeing our sin, we're seeing grace. And we don't know what to do, but then we meet someone on the road. A friend, a fellow traveler, a companion, although he's a bit different. And what we find is he's got the character of the transformed Judah, the one who's willing to come in our place, to take our place. And what we find actually is that friend is Christ. He's the new and he's the better Judah. Because you are like Benjamin, the youngest brother, and you're in real trouble. I mean, you're heading towards death. You're heading, you're sinned. You can't deal with it. You're on the wrong road. And here's what your older brother Judah, the new and better Judah Christ does. He comes to you on the road and he says, it's going to be all right. And you just know that he's true. It's true somehow. But then he turns and he's burned on the cross like Tamar. Tamar was heading to be burned. And this Judah steps in and stops it from happening, although this is the new and the better Judah who's burned in your place. And then, okay, it's the last thing. Come on. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's being an advocate. You know what that means? He's sitting up upon his throne next to his father, and he's advocating for you, meaning he's testifying to you. He's saying something to the father. Do you know what he's saying? The one word, recognize. The one word, recognize. And what does that mean? What's he saying? He's saying, look at them. I was on the road with them. I'm on the road with them. They are sons and daughters of Eden. Their faith in me. They have that faith in me. They are part of the family. Look at them, Father. They're in. They're with us. Not because of what they've done, but because of what I've done in their place. Recognize them. All of us, all of you, you are fellow travelers on this road. And you're searching for a new identity, a new purpose, a new record, a new heart that is transformed. It is found in him. And he has not left you alone, but he's come and he's joined you on that road and he's given his life for you. So let's be a church that's together traveling on this road back to Eden. Along the way, being transformed by him, transforming each other like iron sharpening iron. We're in it together.
All right, let me pray for us. God, I thank you. I pray that in the midst of the chaos that today is brought with the kids, that somehow your spirit has caused these words to penetrate into our ears and into our hearts and into our minds and into our souls. God, I pray that we would be a church of fellow travelers, that we would know that there is the mountaintop of Eden that is waiting for us, but that doesn't mean we just sit here and wait. But we together are transforming each other and we're transforming the world around us by clinging so closely to you on this road. So God, we pray that you would help us. We pray that we would sing with all of our might for you and for your glory and for this love that we have discovered that you've given us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.